Hey guys, this is Nate Dorsey, agronomist with RDO Equipment Company, and you're listening to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. RDO is an industry leader in agriculture equipment and precision agriculture technology. On this podcast, you'll learn from industry experts on the latest from RDO and John Deere. All right, welcome back to another episode of RDO Equipment Company's Agriculture Technology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully by now you should know that there are several different options for listening to this podcast. You can listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, or any podcasting app, which makes it very easy to subscribe and stay up to date on when we release new episodes. The last thing that I want to remind you to do is to leave a review for the podcast on iTunes because reviews will make this podcast more visible and hopefully allow the valuable information that we include in each episode to reach more people. So in this episode, I'm excited to welcome Stephen Hegarty from Vanderfield back to the show to continue our conversation on agriculture in Australia. So to refresh, in the last episode, we really just introduced agriculture in Australia, what crops are grown there, and some of the basic technologies that people are using to improve agriculture and efficiency there. In this episode, I think we're going to start breaking things down by the different crops that are grown in Australia. And in this episode, I think we're primarily going to focus on cotton and small grains, If you could go ahead and give us uh, some background on cotton and and the industry in Australia, I think that would be great. Yeah, look, if if I guess we started with cotton, cotton in Australia is predominantly flood, furrow, surface irrigated, some dryland crop as well. And there are changes coming in our next season with Bolgard 3. And with Bolgard 3, we'll have a much wider planting window to use that technology. And we won't have the requirement to pupae bust at the end of the season. So I think what's going to happen, we're going to see a, a pretty big explosion in dryland cotton areas over here because someone that's in a typical um, minimum zero-till control traffic type of winter cereal cropping system will be able to slot in dryland bulgard cotton without the requirement to go and do a primary tillage operation at the end of the season. That hand-in-hand hand with the fact that we now have this you know, much wider planting window. So typically what's happened with Bolgard 2, Bolgard and Ingard before that was for resistance management purposes, your particular growing valley had a designated window of opportunity to plant of so many weeks, say six weeks or whatever. So for a dryland grower, if they got rainfall and someone wanted to start planting within that window, basically the clock was ticking. So if you got mid-season rain and you're in the high latitudes up in central Queensland, basically you the window was shut, you didn't get to plant. So that's going to change. So, you know, for drying, well, for irrigated cotton, I mean, they are probably our most progressive in terms of PA. You know, it is all RTK regardless of brand of GPS. The highest adoption rate of yield mapping. Obviously, deer have basically a monopoly on the picking side of things these days. But, you know, we're also seeing um, other supply chain partners coming on board. So Harvest ID Cotton with the RFID tag reader on the bale wrap. We're having ginners, processors basically saying we want that. If we can isolate uh, when and where that bale came from and going forward with moisture content for that bale, from their point of view, they're getting productivity and uh, quality gains from that. So... So we're getting this pull-through marketing where the ginners are saying, hey, growers or contractors, our preferred model is that you're using this RFID technology. We're then able to effectively use the RFID data to back-reference a very coarse quality map. So you have a yield map, then over the top we have a you know staple length, staple strength colour map. 
So that's very early days, but it's just a great example of where the entire industry really is PA engaged. Yeah, that was a lot of really great information on cotton and the precision agriculture industry using cotton. And I think it's really interesting to see how progressive they have been in adopting and using that technology, which is something that I, I don't have very much experience with in, in, that, in that side. So it's very good to hear about. Yeah, look, the, the cotton industry is, is, has always been fairly innovative and a very quick adopter. And it's probably the, the area where we have you know, the most adoption and the most market share. Now, what if we move on to small grains? So typically when I'm thinking of small grains, I know that Australia is a very big wheat producer. So what is technology adoption and production like with small grains in Australia? I think, Nate, from, for our small grains, from what I've had described to me, the, the closest area in the States to what we're up against is probably uh, Texas High Plains, I'd say, because it's basically all about water, mostly not enough water. And when we do get it, too much. Whereas an old fella I used to do agronomy for, I always remember his, his saying was, in Queensland, we try to grow wheat in the driest six months of the year. And when the combine comes out, it's the wettest six weeks of the year. And that's so true. And that that sums up why we do everything we do with our dryland grains. Uh, but even irrigating cotton, Nate, I mean, um, you know, our limiting factor to production is still water. I mean... Those that have consistent irrigation allocations would still argue that if they had more water, they'd grow, be able to grow more crop or more yield. Water is, I mean, we are the driest cotton on earth, so water is typically our biggest headache. So, Stephen, it also seems like one of the very first technologies that most producers adopt is guidance, machine guidance, auto track, setting AB lines. What is that kind of adoption looking like in small grains there? In, in grains, we tend to see guidance used to maintain, you know, tram lines anywhere from, from permanent tram line systems, typically guys on three-metre wheel spacings on their tractors, which is to tie in with the three-metre spacing on our combines, through to at least seasonal control traffic where, you know, all machine operations are in multiples, uh, at least for the duration of the season. So in both those systems, I guess our... Um, our requirement for, for machine guidance, our wheel track spacing, and our, our control traffic tramline design has been um, typically set by the design of the combine and the picker. So why do we want good guidance in those systems other than, you know, reducing overlap, you know, unskilled operators, uh, reduced fatigue, etc., etc. You're trying to traffic that field through the, the fallow with spray rigs to control weeds in the wet time of year in a very heavy clay soil so it's it's typically all about machine guidance is all about trying to maintain our um our areas of compaction for for trafficking the field so as we're only damaging a small area of the field and keeping the rest of the field in good condition because typically we're not doing large amounts of conventional tillage for seedbed preparation in those systems great so what about sugarcane? I mean, that's the crop that we don't deal with quite as much in the United States. There's a few pockets, I think, kind of in, in the southeast, like Florida um, and a few other small areas, but we don't deal with it on a large scale basis. How, how does that crop compare to some of the other ones that you've mentioned? Our sugar is grown, obviously, mostly up the coast, and the majority of the Australian sugar industry is grown right beside the Great Barrier Reef. So they're getting a lot of pressure from, from government um, because of, I guess, environmental lobby groups, whether it's rightly or wrongly so, 
the cane industry is getting blamed for a lot of you know coral bleaching from um, you know things in the past like diuron and and balance herbicide. And they farm near a lot of population, a lot of voters. So in Australia, most of us, I think it's 90-something percent of the population is in a ring around the coast. So they're copping a lot of heat on government legislation about how they farm, what they apply, documentation of what they apply. And so the last five years, it's kind of been, a, I guess, a carrot type of policy where there has been... I guess, assistance with partial grants for them to adopt new technology, so for them to adopt RTK, um, attempting to adopt some form of control traffic, reduced or zonal tillage, etc. But it's now moving on to a bit of a, a big stick policy where, um, you know, as an industry, you've been given your chance now, um, guess, follow suit or, uh, or look out. So uh, we're seeing a, a big explosion in rate controllers in that area. And... Um, not because they want to do prescription or zonal application, but mostly because they want to um, they want to be able to accurately document what they've done. So, what do you consider the the future of agriculture in Australia? And, and by that, you know, what kind of advancements do you think need to be made in the future uh, to help growers be more successful? Yeah, look, I, I think if um, you know, if you look at what scares growers and agros um, in adopting some of this stuff, it you know, I, I guess a lot of it's about downtime in peak season and and support in um in a lot of what are remote areas that we farm in um you know so for several of our um vanderfield store locations you know we we may have customers that are um uh in miles you know 150 to 180 miles from the store and you know pretty poor cellular um, range in a lot of our areas, whether that be slow internet as well as just poor cell phone coverage. So I think a lot of the advancements from deer that allow us to do remote display access, um, you know, allow agronomists to, to push, say, uh, wireless data transfer, plant a setup files or spray rig tank mixes um, to a machine and get the records back, remote display access, our ability to, to support someone trying to, um, to use this technology, they're all really great. But the, I guess the irony is the, the areas that um, would make uh, the most use or see the most value in those remote connectivity tools from John Deere that we, we can use are those that probably have the poorest um, connectivity. So that is changing. So, um, you know, as that coverage improves, growers and agros having more confidence in, you know, our ability to back this stuff up, um, I think we'll see a, just a, a much wider adoption of um, you know, data transfer and, and, and variable rate than we have at the minute. Yeah, that's interesting Interesting to hear about the infrastructure that's kind of holding back some of that advancement. And I definitely see that changing in the future. You know, it seems like all countries, including the United States and some of our, some of our rural areas, that's something that's, that's continually being developed. So lastly, for those who are interested in kind of staying up to date with what Vanderfield is, is doing in Australia, what do you recommend for, for people in this area to kind of stay connected and, and updated with what's going on? Yeah, we, we probably have, have sort of learnt, like everyone, that the uh, social media tools are uh, are a good way of getting it out there. So look us up on Facebook. We have plenty of posts of different things we're up to, and there's plenty of links off there to our YouTube channel. Yeah, look, we our technology division or our integrated solution department, we, we market ourselves in Australia as VNet Precision Farming. So um, if you look up VNet Precision Farming, we've got our own little website separate to the, the Vanderfield website. That gives you an idea of 
some of the probably crazy things we get up to. You know, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of growers that have, um, you know, the total John Deere solution. So we, we rarely have a John Deere tractor with a John Deere cedar and a, a John Deere air cart that we can just plug everything in. A lot of short line local manufacturers of planters and, and air carts and, and even sprayers that we're always doing, uh, you know, custom install project management on. Yeah, well, I've been very impressed with, with your videos. I think they're very really entertaining and in a great way. So for those listeners who are interested, definitely check out their YouTube channel. Um, also follow them on, on Facebook. You guys are always posting things that, you, that you're doing with customers there and also videos whenever you have do ones uh, on your Facebook page as well. So uh, I really want to thank you for, for joining us today, Stephen. I really appreciate your insight and learning about the challenges that farmers have there and look forward to, to kind of staying up to date with what you have going on. Thanks very much, Nate. Visit rdoequipment.com slash podcast to listen to new episodes and catch up on any that you missed. You can also listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Android devices so that you never miss out on the latest news and technology from RDO Equipment Company and John Deere. If you like this podcast, please share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or any other social media platform that you use. You can also connect with me on Twitter at RDO Nate Dorsey. That's R-D-O-N-A-T-E-D-O-R-S-E-Y, where you can tweet me questions, episode feedback, and ideas for future topics to cover. Please join us next time on the Agriculture Technology Podcast.